Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I normally interview working voice actors who are working their way up. But today is part two of two with Jenny McSwain. We talk a lot about some of her favorite shows, what to do at an animation session, and meeting some huge voice actors when they were just starting out. I don't want to start this interview because it's like a countdown to the end of my chat with Ginny, so could we just wait? Okay, it's happening. Let me ask you this. Sure. You're with um, an agency. Yeah, I'm with Fox. Have you, you've, you've done multiple uh, animation jobs? I've done one. All I can say about it is a, it's a Warner Brothers animated series, but I've done a number of video games and commercials. Did you did, win these jobs? Did you win these jobs? Or did somebody just say, hire this guy so that you knew? Well, I think for the one that I got, I won. Uh, but I don't think that's the norm. I think that's why it's, it's so ultra competitive now that it's like getting Taft-Hartley. The majority of people will get three SAG cards and then they get they can join the yeah. union it historically is hard to get taft hartley so i think for me it was kind of the same thing when you got in there let's mm-hmm. okay you're in there with the director did you know the director uh i did mm-hmm. did you think you were as good in front of him live doing what was asked um versus your audition yeah i uh, not to toot my own horn but for me I know you're leading up to something, so I don't want to take you away from that. But for me, something really, I lost a very, very dear relative. And uh, it was a very tough time for me. And on the day she passed was when I found out I booked this gig. And so when I went to the session, I just love working with everybody. And I I was the consummate professional. I, I did everything they needed. Finally, being able to be on an animated series with an ensemble record it's just the ultimate joy you know they always say auditioning is a job but uh once you book something it's it's the icing on the cake and this was this was all the icing in the world i could ask for Um, and the icing the icing is when you know you're doing well i think the biggest thing with people coming in and being new i can address that better about people coming in being new versus you know how they come into the session because like i said if i'm not casting the parts you know it's up to the agent sending in submissions or whatever and the sure. creative team picking very rarely you know I, people ask my opinion and i might you know go along with what they're wanting or if i have an objection to somebody that i've worked with before that i don't think is as strong as somebody else i'll pipe in but when people come in new i think the whole thing sean is you just got to fight for your life but the most important thing is nothing can get in the way of your focus you have to listen. I find when pe- and people get jammed up because they get nervous and then they start thinking of, oh my God, I've done more than two takes. You right. know, they're going to fire me. I don't care in my sessions if it takes 25 takes to get mm-hmm. something. It's we're trying to finesse something for a reason. It's not for you to feel nervous about and you're failing and all that stuff. That's part of the thing. The um, actor has to be open. You don't sure. know what's going to be thrown to you. You could, get, you could win that part and come in. And let's say you were still having that bad day, but we could say, you know what? Sorry, Sean, we love your voice, but we're going we're gonna to give you a different role now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally different than what you, you thought you were coming in for. You know what I mean? And it's a matter of being a player, of, of just being a good sport and being, <laughs> and being a good sport with your wonderful talent and sure. listening and focusing and just doing what you're asked. And by the way, that's also the actor's time to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, questions are good. And um, I always say, if you don't understand something I'm saying or my, any of my direction, please stop me because I, you know, sure. if I'm if I'm being confusing, I'm I'm happy to straighten that out, you know. 
Right. And sometimes I'm confused. You know, if, if, if I've got somebody in the booth that's can't articulate what I need to hear to tell you, then we're all confused. So, you know, shit happens. Mm-hmm. But I think an actor coming in new or, or seasoned, it's just a matter of listening and trying to accommodate what's being asked of you. Exactly. I think you're 100% right. And I think, again, you have to be 100% focused. And, and that's what actually helped because I had just gone through this really tough tragedy. Once I got the opportunity in my mind, I said, there's nothing that's going to hold me back from making sure I knock this out of the park. It right. made me hyper focus. So it could right. be, I, you're right. It could be a daunting experience for somebody who's never done it before, who's green and is unfamiliar with it. But yeah, the focus is key. And honestly, some of the things that I learned in improv, like making sure you're listening, especially on an ensemble record and reacting. Um, you know, the, the improv thing coming back into play here is I love the actors that aren't afraid to try something. You know what yeah. I mean? They might be given the, you know, the uh, formula in front of them of what, of what the character is and uh, see the words on the page. But to me, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with some, an actor saying, hey, listen, I've got an idea here. You know, I always think of Chris Cavanaugh from Darkwing Duck. God bless her. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a fine she was and um, who played Goslin. And Chris was this little fresh voice. I mean, she, she was an actress, but her voice had so many different levels to it that it, it didn't matter how you heard it in your head, you know, mm-hmm. which you should never do. You should always free that up because, you know, you're waiting for the actor's interpretation. Right. But even if, and I, I, you know, for, let's say for the action, the read had to be a certain way. The way Chris would do it or try it without even knowing what she was doing could be gold, <laughs> you know? Right. So, you know, it, it's just remaining focused but open, mm-hmm. not getting yourself into, the, into a rut of, of you, that you can't get out. And, you know, the bottom line is nobody's looking at your beautiful face. We're looking, we're looking, right. you know, we're, we're, I always have my head down. I, you know, we're, we're having to hear the life of this character come through our ears. You know, it, it, it's a lot to ask a voiceover performers. That's why they have my steadfast, eternal uh, praise and I, I, and rev- I revere them mm-hmm. because it's, it's, you know, what, what you guys are asked is amazing. When you see the product with some of the animation that's done to it or the game, look at the, you know, with the games. Oh my God. Right. You know, it's, it's, I always call it a true art form. Definitely. This is an art form. And there are, and there are so many greats in this art form, you know? Right. And you mentioned some of the things that you have to deal with as a director. So uh, it's a perfect segue for this question, which is what is your process like in preparing for a show in preparing for directing an episode? Well, can you walk us through that? My, my thing is um, I, you know, we get their shooting scripts, we mostly direct off shooting scripts. And um, I think it's more, especially in the beginning of a series or a project, is I need to sit down. I really find it important to sit down with the EP or the writer or whoever. I want to make sure I am, like I've said a million times, that I'm on the same page with, mm-hmm. with what the show's about, with what the style's about. So after I pummel myself with, oh, my God, I hope I've, I've got the, you know, the thread of this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to understand the characters. I want to um, get inside those characters. That's why I, have, I want to make sure, even though I didn't cast it, I want to make sure I've heard those, you know, auditions ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, sometimes you just fall in love with somebody because you don't know them, and you and you get really excited to work with somebody you don't know, and how much fun this is going to be. I mean, if they're doing this on the audition, you know, it's going to be fabulous. But, and then of course, you know, I mark my script to the hilt. And then you get in there and I ask the, you know, like I told you, I want the power to sit next to me. That's got the most, um, who, who can communicate to me versus right. a, you know, a panel. 
but then the, the first recording session of a series or anything that has multiple episodes to me is the most important because that's not only do your brains fry, but that's when you take in every little thing that the creative team likes about the characters that having their, you know, you're giving birth to these characters on a first right. day. And that's my job to remember all those little things that someone liked about when Sean did this, when Sean did that, that little quirk, and maybe something that Sean added. Let's keep that in. Mm. So that's what happens over a series. And as the episodes go on, I know to come back to you and say, Sean, remember when you did that little wrinkle, you know, when you do that little hiccup mm. or a stutter on that, on that line? Let's make that one of your signatures. So okay. that's my job as the director to keep track of those things, those things that are making the character great and likable or, you know, the villain or whatever the path is for the character. Right. And so that's, that's how it goes. And it gets stronger and stronger on the series, if the series is going smoothly, mm -hmm. um, as you go. So by, you know, when I was doing 65 episodes, man, by episode 30, you're, you're cooking, you know, you, everybody right. knows their character. Um, you know, it's, it, can't wait to see what happens in the next episode. Maybe it's a different side of the personality of the character and it, it becomes very, you know, very, uh, smooth. And you mentioned, you know, especially how important the first episode in a series is, and you'll sit down with maybe the creator to understand the tone and the characters, but when it's first starting out, you know, on episode one, I'd imagine it's hard for you to say, oh, that's not something this character would do. That's something that sort Correct. of grows over time. And that's, and that's a very good point. I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll have it in my head, Sean, you know, and not because I was, you know, an actor and I want the reads to sound like I would do them, but you have a pretty good idea having an acting background. Once you know the character's biography and subtext, why they're going to say this, especially right. if you're following the style of the show. Let's say it's an action adventure. And the only time I, like in the beginning, the only time I would say this, you know, an actor wouldn't say this is if maybe it's written a little awkwardly. And sometimes the actor will do it their way and it'll be a lot smoother by just changing a few words. And a very agreeable writer will go, no, no, that sounds better. But sometimes somebody will say in the booth with me, I need it as written. <laughs> so that's, there's the fine line there. But in the beginning for me, I might turn to the writer on the first day and say, are you sure you want him to be this angry? Are you sure you, you know, it's, it's a little too sarcastic for maybe the moment we can make it more tender. So I'm feeling it out too. That's how I learn about the show. Right. Cause I haven't lived with it. I'm the person that came in to do this show, right? Unless I had my meetings, which I always do, but I'm not living with it and doing a, you know, like on, you know, many of the shows they'll sit down and, and do a, a table read. The writers will do a table read before they come to the session. Mm -hmm. uh, the person that wrote the script, you know, can conduct the, the read and, you know, they have the other writers read along and uh, they know what they want. All of a sudden this girl comes in me and, you know, I have mm -hmm. to be on the same page instantly. So That's I have, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And, you know, even like doing, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, which I did my preschool show, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was alone in the booth. My, my writer was in New York and um, there weren't a lot of people telling me what to do, which puts a pressure on you too. Hmm. I better be right about this style and getting Miles to be charming and not too strident, or I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one. The turd cannon is is gonna spin to me, you know. Right. So there's a lot of pressure, and I I love the people that say, "Oh, it's just so, oh my god, it's so much fun." It's a lot of pressure. I've always taken it very seriously, <laughs> sure. and yeah, I can have a, I can have a good time in spite of myself. 
but I'm the one worrying. I'm directing with my stomach, you know? Right. It's probably the reason, you know, I have stomach ailments because I direct by my stomach, you know? And it's yeah. like, especially in the beginning of a show, when things aren't going perfectly yet, and you've got nervous Nelly sitting behind you, you know, going, mm -hmm. oh, that's not what he did in the audition. Oh, that's, oh, is he going to say it like that? And I'm hearing that behind me, you know? And so right. I'm keeping even face to the actors, in, you know, in the other room. It's just, <laughs> there's, a lot that, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm sure other voiceover directors would agree. And then there's the times when I'm fighting for the actor's life without them knowing about it. So you just see my face going back and forth, you know, in the booth. <laughs> yeah, tell yeah. us about that. Because, you know, one of the things that I've heard at a bunch of workshops and stuff is people, and they say it to comfort the actors. And oftentimes it's true, but that when you're on one side of the glass and you see the creatives, you know, the, the director chatting with the creator and you're worried, is it about me? Is it about my performance? And they might be talking about love. Exactly. And that's true. How could you not feel that way? But, right. but what's happening, luckily, hopefully, you know, I, I haven't really had this problem myself. Maybe it's because I've been doing it a long time where you, you know, stop the, you know, the record for debates about certain things. Mm -hmm. I'll always say, let's just move it along and we'll do, we'll do this at the end of the session. You know what I mean? Because okay. obviously the actor knows there's going to be pickup lines or whatever. But how could you not feel what's, go what's wrong with my performance if all of a sudden the booth stops and you, see, you have a long delay and you just see heads going back and forth? But you know what? As a, as a performer, that's, I'm taking you back to what I said before. Just be open. Be a good right. sport. If it's not working, it's not working. You, you know, it, we'll fix it. I think newer people that, you know, that come in and want to direct their own shows, maybe sometimes they, they don't know all the, the rule handbook for voice directing. You know what I mean? Right. They don't know that that can be very hurtful or offensive or neurotic to the people sitting out there, you know? Right. So it's just a matter of experience. And, um, and I'll be the first to say, you know, this poor, this poor guy is doesn't know whether to shit or wine his watch from the direction we've just given him. Right. I might get a few cheap laughs, but it's like, you know, I don't want to confuse anybody. When somebody becomes confused and you're, they're already having a tough time, you're going to lose them. You're mm -hmm. going to lose them. And they might lose the, the gig. So, you know, it's, it's a yeah. fine line of how much you can push people. It's a fine line for how, like, okay, we get, let's say we get our greats that come in mm -hmm. and, the John DiMaggio's and the, the wonderful people, Kevin, Michael Richardson, who I just adore. Yeah. You don't want to put a muzzle on them. You want them to be able to, you know, be creative. I, you know, and especially since there's so much recording, Sean, now one at a time. Right. They, they usually have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done with the character or they'll ask questions. I mean, they're not mm -hmm. above asking a lot of questions too. And if you hired them, let them lead the recording. Hmm. Don't sit on their face. They're there for a reason. And that's sure. always my rant to the booth. If, if things aren't going well, I'm like, you know, this is what he does. Mm -hmm. Let, you know, if you want less ad lib, whatever. Okay. I can pull it in. And you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with a, a client saying, you know what, you can do whatever you want on two takes, but the third one I need uh, as written right. always. That's not a problem. I mean, they're not running the show. So they're, sure. you know, you're being hired to do a job, you, you know, I've had, I've had a couple of people too that, you know, it's all about ad libs. They're funnier than the script. Well, hmm. big mistake in the booth. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's a fine line with that too. Um, right. When I taught classes, there's always a lot of them. How much can we ad lib? How much should we ad lib? Mm -hmm. I'm saying maybe you shouldn't add anything. Are you funny? Do you feel you're funnier than what's on that page? You right. know, you want to yeah. try something that's different, but your job is not to rewrite the copy. Yeah. Funny. 
relative. You know, the writers may not think you're so funny. Or they're, they're cracked up and think it's fabulous, you right. know? And what I loved about, you know, back to Randy Cunningham, um, Jed and Scott, you know, when they thought something was funny from one of the wonderful people that were in this cast, mm -hmm. oh my God, they were so appreciative, you know, of, of what somebody brought to the table. And their mm -hmm. stuff was good. Their lines were good. Yeah. But if somebody lost it, and to be open to that, that's great. But I think people that are the least amount of ready to be that free are the ones that try it. <laughs> just relax. Just relax. With right. it and, you know, get take the temperature out there. Mm -hmm. Would you? And I know we were talking about the intricacies of directing a show from its inception, from the first episode and trying to feel it out. Um, would you say that in general, there's more improv uh, at the start of shows or is improv more just a case by case thing? It depends on the creator or, you know, the type of show. I think that is not on the first episode. I think in the beginning, everybody's trying to really adhere to what's been placed in front of them. And then the comfort level can go episode after episode after episode to um, start incorporating, you know, maybe somebody has an idea for their character now that they've, you know, done a few episodes. Right. Um, there's enough pressure on that first episode for people just to stay, you know, in line. You know, writers aren't above saying, hey, you know, I think we need something here. And all of a sudden an actor will, you know, jump in. The Jeff Bennett's or who's Roger Craig Smith. Oh, my God. These guys could, you know sit down and you just say, okay, this is what our show is about. Write the script right now and record it. You know what I mean? Right. These guys are, they're, they're brilliant. So there's that, but you know, the best of them will come in on a first episode and do what's asked of them. And, and uh, then maybe take a little of it from there to what they mm -hmm. can bring in the next time. Or like I said, if something's not working, that's when it can really help out. Right. And I mean, the, the people that you've mentioned, they, they all have like stand-up comedy backgrounds and like they've made a profession out of it. So it's right. not, it's not on a whim, but so you mentioned, you know, some of the conversations you've had with creatives, if, if an actor's just not getting it and, and how to handle those personalities. And we also talked about how important, you know, Sean, talking about not getting it. Let me, let me say this too, because I haven't said it yet. Sure. This gig this voiceover gig in animation or interactive or anything that's on a performance level is about acting. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Stand-up comics, great, fun, but are they actors, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, to me, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld wasn't an actor. Right. He's funny, and man, they custom fit that show for him and the great talent that was around him. But for our show, for our what we need for our shows to make a hit animated show is not only does it seem effortless because you know this person is so funny but they're also actors Kristen right. Shaw is a fabulous actress mm -hmm. yeah she does her, her stuff you know from Flight of the Concords whatever she was on you know uh, Gravity Falls mm -hmm. she's a good little actress underneath all that comedy you know yeah and that to me is the thing Versus, oh, you know, we had a, we we're going to get some funny people in here, but the, the acting thread has to carry the, the character. Otherwise, you, you got nothing. Definitely. Look at Will Forte. Mm -hmm. He's an actor. Look at, look at Adam Sandler. He's an actor. Yeah. You know, and they happen to be very funny. Phil right. Hartman was an actor. Definitely. Uh, you know, and maybe, they, maybe they will be actors in um, more of a comedic genre, mm -hmm. but 
they still know the twists and turns of what it, of all the nuances that comedy can take them in their character. Right. So I just want to point out, you know, it's when sure. people come in and do voiceover uh, for anything or win something, um, nothing is more glaring than when they win something from an audition and they come in and they can't start developing mm-hmm. beyond that or adding anything or taking it to a different level. Right. That's going to be asked of you as, as you come in for these characters. Definitely. And that's actually what I wanted to sort of expand on a little bit. So, I mean, we talked about some of the legends that are able to do it successfully, but um, when you see actors come in that just aren't getting it or they're not able to develop the role and understand the acting behind the character, what are some of the things that they do in the booth specifically that are problematic that, that ends up getting them fired or, or not hired again for another thing? I think it's, I can tell when they're not listening. And, oh, the biggest thing that I sound like a class now, but (laughs) this is what I preach, not only the acting, but the second part of this is knowing what your voice sounds like. So when you get somebody with a higher profile who's just been cast because they did a great live, you know, on camera show or whatever, and they're not familiar with the microphone, they have no idea what the, what the volumes are like, what the nuances can be on the mic. And that, or whether it be a new person or just somebody who's not familiar with their own voice, you have to know what your voice sounds like to be, to really succeed. That's the stuff that I find not working on a session that's, that's bombing. Right. I, I always, you know, I'll get on the mic and go, you know, you're going to the school of loud. It's all one volume. See if you can, mm-hmm. you know, give us some nuances here. And right. uh, they won't know what it's like when it's supposed to be an aside or a whisper, a stage whisper. and it's still full, you know, full volume and just things like that. um, That stuff can be learned. And if somebody really wants to, you know, is having a great time and wants to be in the show, they'll, they'll, they'll learn how to do that. Plus in a fuller session, when it's not one at a time, they're going to learn off the other actors, Mm -hmm. but it, I don't think anybody realizes how much work goes into that performance on a microphone. You know, like I said, we're not, look, we're not looking at you. We're only hearing you. And it's got to be like we're looking at you in your voice, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. And you mentioned, and we were talking about it earlier, how for some shows, you know, they need to cast it quickly. There's, there's a short deadline. So you, you got to rely on the people that are proven talent that can kick butt at it. The Rob Paulsons, you know, the great Delisles. Um, I'm curious for you specifically, because it's not like everybody knew from the beginning that these are all consummate professionals that are reliable for anything that you need. At some point, they were strangers. So can you think of any of these actors that you over time relied on for other gigs, but how that relationship first started with you? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you one about Gray Delisle. Yes, please um, do. I, I was working over for Nickelodeon, and this is when they had this new thing over there. This is God, right when their studio opened in Burbank. Um, so I'm going to say it was 1998-ish, and um, they didn't have the studio done yet, the, you know, the beautiful building that came to be later. And so we were having auditions for this thing called, they were called Oh Yeah Shorts. And mm-hmm. they would take these young animators, would pitch an idea for a pilot. They would took 30 of them, and the creator would make them from start to finish, do every aspect of the production assembly line, and then possibly, you know, it would be made into a series. Like I, a couple of them did, met, uh, Fairly Odd Parents, you know. Um, right. Chalk Zone is one of the ones that I did uh, that went into a series. Uh, Fanboy and Chum Chum. Right. So anyway, uh, in the beginning of this whole new creative process of these 30 shorts, 
the guy that was running it, Larry Huber, contacted me and said, would you be the, we're going to have the creators do every aspect of it. But if there's a creator that we don't feel is up to directing the talent, would you be interested? And, I was, and this is when I could feel the winds of change. I knew it was becoming creator driven again out there mm -hmm. in, in the world. And I said, sure, you know. So I was doing auditions for one of them and the creator was with me, but we were in the, like a bad conference lunchroom where these big trucks were coming in back of the, of the building where the, you know, where it is now it's very industrial over there where the building is now. Right. And we had this little crappy tape recorder and whatever. And, and the talent was coming in and, and there were like a mic set up for them. And it was just so, you know, rinky dink. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and this girl blows in the room and she looks like Ava Gardner. And she's wearing a, like this retro uh, short sleeve Angora sweater and a flannel skirt. I want to say it had a poodle on it, but it was very <laughs> retro. And she was just gorgeous. She had her red lipstick on, this raven black hair. That was Bray Delisle. <laughs> and, she, and I was like stunned because she was just so beautiful. Right. Out of her mouth comes a range from a fetus to a... a <laughs> to, to a, a, a thousand year old woman, you know what I mean? Grandmother mm -hmm. right. and everything in between. And I was so dazzled. I'll never forget about that. And the rest is history. I mean, you know, Bray <laughs> went from show to show to show to show to show, but that was what, that's how I met her. I'll never forget that, you know, wow. <laughs> but, but there were, listen, I, I just gave the gray story, but there were, there were several like that. And back to what, you know, you were talking about a lot of, these young creators, some of which could not articulate their own name, but they knew what mm -hmm. they wanted on that page. Okay. Um, some of them were great directing their own talent. Some of them were very open to the actor loosening it up and, and, and couldn't wait till he, you know, said something funny and improvised. And some of them were like, you know, very strict, even at, you know, the beginning of their careers. Right. I wonder for that program specifically, the Oh Yeah uh, cartoons showcasing all the shorts, that must have been like creativity on hyperdrive for you because all these shows are totally different from each other. So did you find totally. that? Totally. All, all different styles. Did yeah. you enjoy that process, trying to figure out how to piece them all together? Or was it overwhelming? I felt really old. I just did because there was an excitement. These kids were so excited about their own, you know, projects mm -hmm. that you didn't want to be a, a dream killer. You know what I mean? You wanted to make right. sure you were, had just the same energy that they were feeling and excitement and all that. And some of them you could, you knew that would never be made. Right. And yet hats off to them. I mean, they were fulfilling a dream of theirs. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I learned something too, you know, an interesting show that was fun to watch creatively. And I was really on the outskirts of it while I was at Nickelodeon. It wasn't a short. It was a pickup on a series called Cat Dog. Do you remember that, oh, Sean? Oh, yeah. That was a big part. And that was, that was um, Jim Cummings, who, you know, was a vet out there. Yeah. And then Todd Kenny, who was, you know, relatively new. Maria Bamford, who was a oh, receptionist yeah. at Nickelodeon, who was just starting her careers. <laughs> Billy West and um, Carlos Alzaraki. Mm. And I'm probably forgetting somebody, but Jim and Tom were Cat Dog. And I was asked to cast it. And I think I, I don't remember, I, but I, I did retain, I was on retainer, which nobody ever put me on retainer <laughs> for a few hundred dollars a week just to bring in extra people. But the creator was new and excited. He was a little closer to my age, but he was having so much fun that it was a joy for me 
to step back and watch. And I remember he was a little clumsy in the beginning. And I remember the network executive asking me if I would step in. Uh, yeah, maybe you should direct this. And I said, I like this guy so much, this creator that I said, I, it's going to kill him, you know? And I, mm. I, so I, I, it was Peter Hannon. I said, um, Peter, I think, do you need me? Would you like me to direct this show? And then you, I will do everything you want to do, but I'll just keep the energy going and move it along a little faster or something like that. Cause I really liked this guy. I was rooting mm -hmm. for him. And he said, no, Jenny, I, I would really, and he was really kind and nice. And I, he said, I, you know, I just really, I really want to do it myself. I said, you got it. So I remember going back and saying, I ain't doing it. This is his baby. And I, I wouldn't puncture that balloon for the world. And uh, he, he had so much fun doing the show. The show was, I guess, a hit. And yeah. they made like, you know, 50, 60 episodes. And um, it was just, a, that, that was joyful to watch. And Sean, it, it ain't about me. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's not the Ginny show. It's about whatever's working. And if I can help somebody get there, that was my job. And then sometimes I, had, I was running the ship. But right. it was never about my ego saying, I know best what's for this concept. Mm -hmm. I'm very reliant on the power, the creative force that's going to talk to me and the actors. I need the information, too, to do my job. So it's never about, you know, let me talk. You, know, you sit back. I got it. It's never about right. that. I'm very vulnerable. I'll go, is this what you want to the writer? You know, is this, am I doing it? Mm -hmm. Is it fast enough? I'm, I'm, you know, and I ask my own personal questions of what I am questioning working. So, you know, it's teamwork. I had to learn that too, because lots, you know, lots of times um, I was running it and uh, I realized <laughs> I need those people in the booth. I need the people that are working with me in the booth, not the people that think they can do it themselves or don't want a voice director. Right. I just want to be clear on that. You know, it's a team effort. And if I ain't doing it right, somebody's got to tell me. I, I notice I'm saying ain't a lot. But I'm, I'm being so casual. <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, when Peter started, it was a little bit rocky how he was trying to direct it. But would you happen to know some of the things that, that led the network to ask you to take over? I think just because it was, um, I think Peter was thinking as he went too. you know, he had created this series. Right. Communicating with the actors was probably the thing. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't know quite what to say to them if it wasn't working. And he'd be laughing. Oh, he thought, and of course, Cummings and Tom were fabulous together. Right. <laughs> and uh, they really were. They were freaking frack. And uh, Tom was, he was especially fond of Tom Kenny, who was mm -hmm. just a joy and sweetie pie to be around, as I'm sure he still is. Mm -hmm. And um, it was probably just being so in the moment that he wasn't running it like a session that the executive was used to. Right. That's all, okay. you know, and that all changed because, you know, you had to have a session done in a certain amount of time. So, you know, Peter had to learn mm -hmm. how to keep it moving as well and have a good time. And he did. Right. Cool. Um, so what do you have a favorite cartoon that you've worked on? Yes, I have many for different reasons. And one was, um, OK, here's a show with improvisation. Uh, Bobby's World. Mm. Um, that was a really Loose scripts with very talented improv actors. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. We did eight seasons. And Howie was at every session except for maybe two. Hmm. Two in, in eight seasons. Wow. And, um, yeah, he was a real big part of it. And he really enjoyed the actors. It was a really eclectic, funny cast. It was right up my alley because the two writers that wrote it, Jim Stahl and Jim, I called him the Jim so much, I forgot. <laughs> 
the other Jim's <laughs> name right now. But anyway, uh, Jim Stahl was from my hometown, and oh, they wow. based this family story very Arlington Heights, Illinois. Mm -hmm. So that was I was in. It was like flies on stink. I was so happy to be a part <laughs> of that show, and it was challenging because. I had a lot of, you know, right out of the gate, great comedy guys on that. And, you know, I wasn't about to, and Howie would sit in the session because he was Bobby and the dad. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, Howie was sitting next to me saying, we can use that, we can't use that. So it was like, yeah, I was, I was the ship's captain on that one. Mm. And, uh, but here's what I loved about those glory days. I remember I needed, um, Maurice LaMarche was newer then. He was mostly doing commercial stuff and it was before his mm -hmm. big claim to fame in animation. And, he, he knew Howie and he was doing, and Mo was doing a lot of stand up and stuff. So he knew Howie right. and really wanted to be on the show. So I needed him to do, um, and he did a lot of impressions. I needed him to do a Jeff Goldblum hmm. uh, from Jurassic Park or something like that. And so I, but I got to say, uh, Mo, that's not quite cutting it. Um, go over to Universal and just watch Jurassic Park for a little bit so you get enough of the Jeff Goldblum bloom under your belt <laughs> and come back. And, and he did it. He left for about, you know, an hour and a half, came back. I thought, you know, I can catch him at the end of the session if he's mm -hmm. too late. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we could do then, you know? Yeah. Like the, very, the fabulous Tino and Sana who sounded just like John Candy's rougher edge brother. Um, mm. It was just a great cat. Gail Mathias doing her Minnesota. And um, we had it, Rob Paulson and Pat Fraley came in. I I brought them in. You know, I could I would cast the show, but mm -hmm. Howie would say, you know, bring in Fabio or something like that. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we, you know, so we used some 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 celebrities. But um, I brought Rob Paulson and uh, Pat Fraley in, and as the mall guards, and they did these insane voices that the crew liked so much that we kept bringing him back and in the same, in the same voices in other characters or the mall guards would show up in other, other episodes. So, I mean, that was a pleasure to do because people were thinking funny and enjoying mm -hmm. themselves. Another great show I did was earthworm Jim, which oh. was so much fun and twisted. Doug Langdale did that show. It was a pleasure working with Doug Langdale mm -hmm. and we just had a lot of fun. The core of actors, Andrea Martin was in that one. She played a uh, queen slug for a butt. And, um, <laughs> You could just uh, plug those people in and close your eyes and, until the session was over. They were so slick and fabulous and perfectly cast in the roles. I, mm -hmm. I cast that one too. Uh, another little show I did called Bump in the Night, uh, which was a really a, a kind of a stop motion. But these guys were crazy. They were from uh, Northern California. They had a company called Danger Productions and it was a three-person cast. It was Jim Cummings, Rob Paulson, and Gail Mathias. And I think it was like a four-minute, seven-minute, and a 10-minute script to make up the half hour and one of the uh little vignettes always had a song in it and that mm. one of them would sing and the songs were fabulous the songs were like it could be from broadway to reggae to classical to and the and the actors cool. and their character voices would sing them and rob you know rob and jim are tremendous singers as yeah. a skill. and so crazy client crazy experience <laughs> i don't know when i've laughed so hard so <laughs> And then, you know, I did, I had some things that I really enjoyed. Um, oh, my dog just burped. Um, <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> hi, Gary. Um, the, what the other show? Oh, Darkwing Duck with Disney yes. TV. I had a, a really good time at Disney TV for a while. And mm -hmm. it was cutting my teeth on Tailspin because I was new and I wanted it to please four teams. And mm -hmm. yet learned a lot. 
I learned a lot about voice directing from Disney TV. Mm-hmm. But Darkwing Duck was a pleasure. It was just a pleasure. We did like 85 episodes and I and that was another really, really good experience. I'll tell you what made it. It was manageable. Small cast. Uh, Jim Cummings was Darkwing Duck and he was like having your thoroughbred lead the sessions. <laughs> so Chrissy Kavanaugh, with all her fresh inexperience, learned from Jim. We brought in great guest stars. Dan Castellaneta did his Gene Wilder. Oh, and cool. Charlie Adler, Adler is another force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something very Broadway about Charlie, literally. Yeah. And he knows, <laughs> how, he knows how to work that microphone. And that, his performance in The Rocketeer as one of the villains mm-hmm. is absolutely extraordinary. It's, awesome. and, and my friend Parvesh played his sidekick. And they were like, he was an evil uh, magician and, and Parv was his sidekick. Hmm. And if anybody can catch that performance, it's to die. And Maurice LaMarche, who just got nominated for an Emmy, uh, was awesome. another one of our villains. He was tremendous to work with as usual and uh, pulled it off. He got nominated. I'm really happy for him. It's awesome. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm forgetting good shows that I worked on. Sometimes little loser shows that just were favorites because the cast or the creative team was so great mm-hmm. that always played more to me I, I was disappointed early on on a lot of things that I did because the animation would come back and be so shitty so mm-hmm. I really fell in love Sean with the with the voiceover tracks more than I did the products mm-hmm. but you know the things I just mentioned were both in both degrees just perfect yeah. you know just fun mm-hmm. and uh they're my glory days yeah I don't think it's a coincidence that um what are maybe some of the most iconic shows for a lot of people's childhoods are the ones where the chemistry worked in all departments. Everybody worked together and, and brought their A game. Um, yeah. Yeah. And but, you know, it's funny too, with all the, the, the reboots too, you know, like I did the original, my little pony and yeah. uh, then you see it come aboard later and it's just <laughs> as popular and, and it's, you know, hip and happening. Uh, I did a reboot of myself of GI Joe, which was a very challenging, ambitious show for me to do because it was, a, I call them jockstrap shows. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's so guy. And yet it was a challenge every week to carry out my duties and get that to sound as good as and, and a, another great cast, by the way. But another reboot. And uh, so, you know, Hasbro was good to me, too, on, on a couple different decades. And, uh, you know, we did uh, Rescue Bots, which was a lot of fun to do. Um, mm-hmm. Great group of people on both sides of the glass. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did a great show that's still sitting on a shelf somewhere with Hasbro called Micronauts for uh, two seasons with a, a great cast, great crew. I wish it would come out. Um, yeah, I'm curious about this. I, 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 yeah, I can't believe it's not somewhere. Somebody didn't pick it up. And then mm-hmm. um, Rocketeer. Yeah, Rocketeer mm-hmm. was my last series. Yeah, I mean, you just said a moment ago, those were your glory days with Darkwing Duck and whatnot. But, I mean, you're still churning out lots of amazing But it was, just a, it was just a great pocket, Sean. Um, yeah. I'd say from 89 to about 95, 96. And they were the days when you knew what you were doing. People wanted you for a reason. And it wasn't such a clusterfuck as it is now. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, there's just so many hands in the pie that, you know, that weigh in on everything. And uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You just, we're always going to have those sweet pockets in our lives and our yeah. careers. I've, I've been blessed. I mean, I'm very thankful for what I had. If there's something in the future, great. If not, so be it. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Me and Gary. <laughs> oh, I know Gary's all the entertainment you need. <laughs> Gary's my big boy. Hi, Gary. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I just hope I've been clear enough on some of the things you've asked me. Absolutely. This you have no idea how excited I am to share all of this with the world. Like I not only were you responsible for basically my childhood because I was born in 87, so your glory yeah. years was my childhood. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> good, good. But even, you know, little did I know back then when I was just a little kid watching these shows that one day I would work on a show that led me to meet you personally and led me to change my entire career path. Um, well, I, I thank you for your um, kind words. I really do. And thank you for, you know, being interested in hearing about other people's lives and how things came to be. You know what I mean? I, but, I, but I always want to stress, Sean, very humble beginnings because I literally drove by Hanna-Barbera. I had no idea this would be my career. Mm -hmm. I literally thought, oh, instead of working for my dentist, maybe I'll go there because I remember watching the Flintstones. You know, that's mm -hmm. a great story. And um, to walk in the door and have somebody ask you to come back and only because they probably thought you were kind of cute maybe and, oh, her, <laughs> you know, her portfolio is kind of shabby, but she graduated from college. <laughs> She'll be a smart one here. Duh. And, uh, <laughs> but I met such great, colorful characters in my career too. That's, I met the best people ever. So there you have it. And, you know, in, in just in a nutshell, you know, what I say to the actors they have my absolute heart on knowing how difficult this can be, and especially now, right now, it's just what a year. But just being open to what you are asked to do. This is an ongoing thing, Sean. This is, you know, it's not just voiceover 101 and you have it forever. Right. You have to keep striving and working at your craft. And it's listening to other shows, seeing what styles are out there, uh, what people are buying. And um, it's always great to be a fanboy or girl of somebody that you think is good and, and keep them in, your, in the back of your training for what maybe you want to aspire to that you like that they do. This is when everything you did as an actor comes into play, whether you had those improvisational classes, sense memory classes, scene work, developing characters, all the classes you've ever taken or were trained in come into play in voiceover. Mm -hmm. Mic experience, um, these classes that people take are, are invaluable. If it's somebody that's very reputable, I hope. It's in, they're invaluable because that's when you learn about the community, the animation community, what's going on out there, and um, just getting experience on mic. But mm -hmm. the experience applies at home too, especially now that people, everybody's got a home right. studio because of this. Um, and who knows what the future holds. But knowing what you sound like on mic. And that's the most important thing you can do as an actor that wants to do voiceover. Find the nuances that you would portray in your on-camera performance and find them in your voice. That's what gets people parts. Guys, that wraps up my chat with the truly legendary Jenny McSwain. But it's not the end of this podcast because I got some tips for you. Like tip number one, do your best to network with like-minded artists and creators. Many actors get their first break in animation from their creator friends. Two, when you're coming into an animated session, stay open and focused. If you let your focus falter because the pace is fast or you're asked to do multiple takes or you're affected by the producer and the director having a chat, you'll hurt your performance and possibly hurt your chances of being cast again. So stay focused. And three, really key in on the style of the shows you're auditioning for. The style is a huge factor in creating the right performance. And four, extra tip, know what your voice sounds like. The most important thing voice actors can do is understand the nuances in on-camera performances and find them in your 
your voice. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs> <laughs>